Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Ben, what's the latest? Uh, I just started reading a book called What Doesn't Kill Us, Uh and it's about how we basically control our environment so much now that we never experience cold or warm. And the idea is that those sort of things, getting cold and um, then getting hot or whatever, is actually good for you. And it talks about the research that goes into that and what systems are basically becoming dormant, uh, not being used because we never experience cold for more than like, you know, two minutes, you walk to your car and then you make it the perfect temperature and you go home and all that stuff. And uh, there's a there's a whole movement that's going on with it, just like exercise, right? It's like replacing what we used to do as we walked around, yeah. Um, and all this stuff. It's pretty interesting. So I started taking cold showers. <laughs> oh shit! Wow, you and yeah, uh, it's Tony Robbins. Oh, does he do that? Well, yeah. Tony Robbins does the like, um, and um, what's your other self improvement guy that you like? Well, I well hold on. I was just about to say that <laughs> I don't. I have a negative impression in my mind of tony robbins i have no idea why i don't actually know much about it i bet you would love it it's it's just really uh, yeah man it's like personal empowerment self-betterment very modern very forward thinking i mean i'm not into it but to me it seems like a preacher and so i'm like out this guy has people like walk on coals and stuff I i think that's garbage the power of the mind dude well anyway i (laughs) i don't know what impression i've given you but I, I think you should not be a hater. I think you should check it out. I bet he has, you know, it's a conversation between a wise man and a fool anyway. I'm sure you could learn something from him if you, if you, uh, you know, saw what he had to say. But no, he, he does like cold plunges, like every morning yeah. kind of thing, like plunge into yeah. the, you know, freezing water or whatever because of all of the beneficial effects on your central nervous system and et cetera. So. See, one of the reasons I like this book is that the guy is going into the the research that's been going into it uh-huh. since people have started doing that, and that's what I find interesting. Mm. If if I was just reading this book and someone was saying, "Hey, this guy really thinks that you should get in cold water or whatever," <laughs> I would just think that it's kind of like a lot of other sort of yeah, sure fads out there where people everybody jumps on board and says that like doTERRA will heal you in every single way possible because of the essence of this oil or i don't know but i like this yeah you're a skeptic that's why you're good at the lsat for real (laughs) hopefully no for real i mean skeptical thinking is is one of the most powerful tools you can have for the lsat you have to be able to call bullshit on stuff so you and i both when we hear just claims we immediately want to know what the evidence is to back up those claims that's just the way we think Uh, Mm -hmm. when you think that way then you do well especially on the logical reasoning right (laughs) you kill the logical reasoning because you're just like wait what what are you trying to tell me here what what's your basis for that so yeah i mean there's a lot of charlatans out there in every field you you know just people talking about energy and (laughs) so much (laughs) just bullshit all the time but uh, no i mean i I would i I bet you would find something in the in the tony robbins shit that you would probably like okay cool today on the show we have an action-packed show today we have so much to talk about we have a unsurprising bit of news from yale 
we have an announcement that the LSAC is looking for guinea pigs. They actually want to pay you to do some work for them. We have a whole bunch of listener mail, and if we have time, we'll get to a question, a logical reasoning question from the June 2007 test. But first, I wanted to uh, put a little pitch at the top of the show, since we get so many emails from people that are surprised to find out that we have uh, products and services, <laughs> believe it or not. Ben and I are both in business, and uh, we have offerings that you can buy. And uh, so, Ben, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your online class, um, which sure. is a thing and it's for sale and people could buy it right now if they wanted to, right? That's right. Yeah. So the online class tracks the live class because I record all my lessons as they go. So just last night I had a class, um, a live class, and I recorded that class and then made that available to the online students. So the online class that I offer is sort of, um, it's sort of like it's happening in real time, mm -hmm. right? So every week there's a new set of videos that come up that have to do with whatever we talked about in class this week. And uh, so people can join that class and start preparing for the June test or, or whatever. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Cool. They sign up uh, through your website, strategyprep.com. That's right. Yeah. Strategyprep.com. And it's just listed there with all the other live classes, but it's listed as the online class and it's got a schedule and everything. But the reality is because it's online and whatnot, you can start at any time and just pick up with the first lesson and then go from there. Cool. Do they get historical lessons too, or do they just like get the lessons for that batch of the, of your live class? They get both. Yeah, they do okay. get the historical lessons as well. They're, the historical lessons are organized by test, okay. actually. So after I'm done with a lesson, I take all the videos out of it that deal with particular tests, and then I put those into a system that organizes them. And so they, when they're doing like 35-minute sections or things like that, they can go back and find videos from previous classes as well as the current one but previous classes that discussed those questions and so sometimes you know for the harder questions there's like <laughs> six seven videos just on that one question wow. not that they need to watch them all but sometimes i at first i was thinking of like deleting those you know and just having the most recent ones or whatever but people have told me that uh if a question is particularly difficult hearing or watching a couple videos from different classes on the same question come at it at like different angles. You know, different yeah, people, sure. different classes have different questions sure. and the way they talk about it. By the end, they're sort of like, okay, now I feel like I really have my mind wrapped around it. So I've just kept all those old yeah. videos. Well, you're going to do a better job explaining it sometimes than you are other times, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sure. sometimes you're going to be off your game or sometimes you're just going to see a different aspect of the question and, and do a better job of it. Yeah, there's definitely that. And it's also like, sometimes, you know, the class will seem to get it and they say, yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of like, it doesn't make sense to keep elaborating on it. So we just sort of end the discussion. But in other cases, they want to dig into it deeper. So yeah, well, that's cool. So and I think yours costs the same as mine, right? Did you say it's $1,000, 995? There's actually two versions. There's one um, that's nine ninety five, and that's for the people who are in the D.C. area oh. because they can come to get like extra help on Thursdays and to come to the live practice exams. But if if they're remote, um, it's it's since they can't come to those things, it's seven ninety five. I see. Cool. What if they like have questions, need support, that kind of thing? How do they do? They get in touch with you or? 
Yeah. Most people just email me uh, specific questions, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this or whatever. It's totally random. But yeah, I'm happy to respond to emails or talk on the phone. But most people end up emailing. So yeah. Awesome. Okay. So that's Ben's uh, online class. Uh, you can find that at strategyprep.com if you're interested. And if you're in some backwater somewhere and you're thinking about taking whatever the bullshit local LSAT class is, you know, you might want to read some reviews of that before you before you sign up and uh, consider doing an online program. If you like our shit on this podcast, um, I think you would like our online programs. So check that out. Yeah. What do you think about this? Uh, well, we got unsurprising news from Yale, yeah? Uh, so I didn't hear the news, oh. so please let me know. Well, you'd be shocked to find out that Yale is going to also be accepting the GRE. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, duh. That makes sense. Yeah. They have to, right? Now that the competition is. Yeah. So. Again, makes absolutely no difference for anybody today um, unless you have this elite GRE score in the bag already or you know you think you can get an elite GRE score and you can't get an elite LSAT score, which really doesn't make any sense. But the GRE yeah. is a much easier test to take you know, because the LSAC hasn't modernized and is only offered four times a year. If you, you know, are like some crazy badass at... Uh, standardized tests i suppose then it makes a difference for you too because you but again also only if you're going to just apply to yale and harvard which would be dumb Mm -hmm. but yeah you know as that list of schools expands it it's going to be a much more viable option to take the gre so yeah yeah, um i guess ben as a full-time lsat specialist you're hoping like i'm hoping that the lsat is actually gonna fix itself yeah It'll be interesting to see how that changes. Well, to that end, um, we have a bit of news about the LSAC looking for guinea pigs. I've been seeing this on Twitter. I follow the LSAC on Twitter. Yeah. So participants needed for digital LSAT pilot test on May 20, 2017 in 20 U.S. testing centers. Uh, Details at digitallsat.lsac.org. (laughs) <laughs> by the way digital lsat there's two l's there right because it's digital and then it's lsat okay then dot lsac with a c dot org wait hold on say that again digital, digital lsat dot lsac dot org <laughs> dude that's yeah, so funny that's yeah, hilarious they're not going to have any other sort of digital thing. So they could just say digital or... Right. Yeah, they could have just gone digital.lsac.org or they could have just put it on the front page of lsac.org. <laughs> the digital LSAT pilot yeah, test. These, these people, man. This is what happens when you have no competition. But you know now they have competition. So I just hope it doesn't take them five years to realize they're going to get their ass kicked. Yeah. Here's the deal. As part of our ongoing research into LSAT delivery options for the future, LSAC is conducting a pilot test of a tablet-based LSAT administration system, comma, the digital LSAT. <laughs> <laughs> they have a name. They're so worried about the freaking name. They haven't even uh, a bunch of fucking lawyers, dude. They're just look at, like they're so worried about, you know, like the appearance of the whole thing that they're not actually making the thing happen. Anyway, we are yeah. seeking a total of 1,000 test takers to participate in the pilot test. Date, May 20. Application period, March 27 through April 15. 
um, which I think they had to expand because they, you know, shocker didn't get enough participants in the first wave. So they, they had to like, I think they, they broadened it. It says you will need an acceptable photo to upload during the application process. So they're actually, it looks like they're actually, you know, testing the security aspects of it at this point, which that could be a good sign. Yeah. Approximately 20 sites across the United States, including Puerto Rico. It's being offered by the LSAC free of charge. It includes actual LSAT questions, but will not result in an LSAT score. Like the LSAT, each pilot test will consist of five sections of multiple choice questions, but they will be administered on a tablet. There may also be a writing sample, which the test taker will type using a keyboard attached to the tablet. The digital pilot test will be given under conditions similar to those of an actual LSAT administration, and the timing of the sections will be identical, 35 minutes for each section. The digital LSAT is designed to be accessible to as many individuals with a wide blah, 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 disability, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if you'll have scrap paper uh, or something. Because like yeah, games you're and stuff, need, you know? they're going to need to give scratch paper for sure for the games. Taking the digital LSAT pilot test should help prepare you for taking the actual LSAT. As indicated above, the test questions you will encounter in the digital LSAT pilot test are actual LSAT questions, providing a valuable practice opportunity under realistic test-taking conditions. <laughs> realistic, except for it's digital. Yeah, and yeah, it'll be realistic 10 years from now when we actually implement this. No, there's too much to mock here. In addition, contingent upon your completion of the full pilot test, you will receive a detailed performance report listing the number of questions you answered correctly for each of the three LSAT question types and the number answered correctly for each of several skill areas within each LSAT question type. Ooh. Your performance report will also contain brief descriptions of all of these skill areas. What? Digital LSAT pilot test results are not LSAT scores and will not be transmitted to law schools. They have to say that five times because, again, because they're lawyers. And then a $100 gift card will be given to each participant who completes the entire pilot test. You know, that's kind of funny that they said that last. That seems like that should be up there with the fact that it's free. I mean, well, anyway, so this is interesting. This part about um, their analysis of your results, mm -hmm. I'm really curious. Are they just, is this just going to be a simple thing where they say, well, it, it appears that you got 50% of the necessary assumption question types correct? Or are they actually going yeah. to, do they ha have they, you know, I'd be curious how they sort of categorize their questions. I mean, we know from the uh, super prep books that they talk about necessary assumptions, sufficient assumption, and so forth. So I'm guessing they're just going to stick with that. Yeah, if I was a gambling man, which I am, I'm, I'd, you know, I would make a bet, even money, that that's what it's going to be, right? Yeah. It's just, just exactly what you said. Yeah. Oh, you missed seven out of fifteen necessary assumption questions, and then it's going to be that description from the super prep, blah 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 about necessary assumption questions. Because what else are they going to do? Yeah, they're not going to be in the business of teaching LSAT. Yeah. Hey, so this reminds me of the podcast some time ago. I can't remember which one it was, where we talked about the newsletter. And in the newsletter, they had talked about doing a digital yeah. LSAT, right? Wasn't that in 1999? Yeah, they've been, they've been you know, very slowly creeping up on this. But it is uh, interesting that, you know, less than a month after Harvard makes its announcement, then bang, all of a sudden, they're, they've got this test going on in 20 different pilot 
test centers. No, I mean, that's my point exactly. It's actually worse yeah. that they were talking about it in 1999 and apparently didn't do anything about it until, whoa, coincidentally, a month after yeah. that. Like, that is, yeah. I think, proof positive, despite the fact it's just correlation. Wow. This is a good thing. This is what the competition does. Yeah, it's circumstantial, but of course, common sense it t- just stands to reason that if all of a sudden they've got a big competitor just wading into the fray, you know, they're going to all of a sudden have to change up their shit. I do notice here, though, that like the fact that it's a tablet base, like they, they're, I wish they were just doing this at, through the testing centers that yeah, already exist. Yeah, I don't understand that. I was thinking the same thing. It, it's going to be a lot easier. That's what you're ultimately going to have to integrate it into anyways, I would assume. That's at least the most efficient way to get it out there and distribute it. They're going to buy a bunch of tablets? That's ridiculous. I'm thinking they're not going to. You know, I'm just thinking they're going to they're going to they're going to modernize to the like least of their like they're they're going to slightly dip a toe in the water. Maybe they're trying to keep end-to-end control just like Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. They want to keep 100% of the money if they can, which is kind of a dumb business plan, but you know, it's worked for them for a long time, right? I mean, they've they print they just print money. I mean, the amount of money they make off of just selling the tests alone mm-hmm. is outrageous. But the amount of money that they make off of the test administration, the amount they make off of the credential assembly service, it's it's crazy how much money students end up paying the LSAC. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I I'm not a hater, right? I can't blame them for for making money, mm-hmm. but it's bad for the students that this thing is not available at all of the testing centers that already exist. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't just go into all the testing centers where you can already take the GMAT and the GRE and whatever, you yeah. know, NCLEX and like just a zillion tests that you can take at these testing centers that are specifically designed. And that's all they do all day is administer tests. Yeah. And they're set up they're for scheduling people to come in. <laughs> And instead, they end up hiring just, you know, random people to be the proctors at their own test centers that they administer. Anyway, hey, maybe this all turns out a lot better than we think. I just can't imagine because the tablets don't exist at these testing centers. Yeah. Anyway, we're speculating, so we should probably just move on. But that's the big news. And um, again, you, um, I don't know, I wish our listeners, we got to get our listeners to go do this. Yeah, we do. So here's the deal. If you're shooting for June, um, you're going to take it on May 20th. So that's a couple Saturdays before. Yeah. And <laughs> I wonder how long it will take them to give you their uh, their analysis of your results. But either way, hey, it's one more test. doesn't hurt to get a little experience. Yeah, it's going to be real LSAT questions. Yeah, do it. May 20th uh, at 20 sites across the United States. Again, you go to uh, digitallsat.lsac with a c dot org to um, find out more about this and to register. But boy, that would be awesome if our listeners crowded into those testing centers and gave us all a report. Yes, we will be very appreciative if you guys do that. They're seeking a thousand test takers. What? What? Yeah. what how many? What percentage of those test takers do you think we can nab? Ten percent. We should be able to get, if everybody that's listening did it, which they all should, we, we should be able to, yeah, crowd the testing centers. That'd be excellent. Anyway, if you are available, uh, you should check out those testing centers. Oh, 
does it have a list of all the testing centers? Because we could provide that helpful information. <laughs> well, we do know that it's in 20 states. Which states is unknown? 20 sites. Oh, 20 sites. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Test center locations. Okay. Lakeland, Florida, Glen Allen, Illinois, Evanston, Illinois, Bloomington, Indiana, Newton, Mass, Springfield, Mass, Albuquerque, New Mexico, North Las Vegas, Nevada, Flushing, New York, Columbus, Ohio, Norman, Oklahoma, Eugene, Oregon, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. What? That's probably San Juan, Puerto Rico, Memphis, Tennessee, San Antonio, Texas, Houston, Texas, Richmond, Virginia, Madison, Wisconsin, and La Crosse, Wisconsin. So what's the closest there to Richmond, Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, that's interesting. Um, DC, I think, is the the biggest city when it comes to uh, LSAT test takers uh-huh. in the world. And uh-huh. they failed to find a place in DC. Well, California is the biggest place biggest state for test yeah. takers for sure and yeah. they don't have a testing center in california at all well whatever it's a pilot <laughs> test and they you know they're doing it in maybe places that are a little bit more affordable for whatever reason they did it in places where the rooms are cheaper maybe and maybe the labor's a little bit cheaper it makes sense well i mean why would they test it in san francisco or los angeles or dc if they you know there's just a pilot so they're doing it in norman oklahoma instead yeah <laughs> Cool. This is all, it looks like all of them at universities. Yeah. Okay, cool. And yeah, the the navigation, of course, the LSAC website, it just sucks. But the navigation is up in the upper left if you're looking for that navigation link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can totally sign up and they'll give you a $100 gift card for the LSAC website. <laughs> Probably for the LSAC web store <laughs> where you can buy yourself like a LSAT mug. No, I don't know. Who knows? It's probably Amazon. Um, okay, cool. Anyways, that's good. This is great news. I mean, as much as we're mocking the LSAC, we, we love to poke fun. They're our favorites. And um, they're making some progress here. So that's that's good. Yeah. Let's see. What else do we want to talk about? Oh, if you would like to... We get, we're getting a lot of emails these days, Ben. But uh, if people want to email the show, they can email help at thinkinglsat.com and... Uh, we will add your email to the agenda. You can also tweet me at Infox, tweet Ben at Strategy Prep, or tweet the show at Thinking LSAT. Lots of ways to get in touch with us, and we would love to help you with your LSAT issues. Hey, random side note on um, emails. Sure. Can you always tell that an email that you're about to open has to do with the uh, podcast? I feel like it can always tell, like something about the subject line. It doesn't have to say podcast. It's just something about the subject line. I'm like, oh, this is for the podcast. Yeah, I do have a pretty good suspicion when it comes in. What is that? Why is that? I don't know. Something about like they tend to be long, I think, and they tend to have a fair amount of detail. I don't know. But it seems like every time I'm like, ooh, that looks like a podcast email. And lo and behold, it is. Yeah, I, I don't know what that is. Oh, here we go. Here's here's an example. Question and an unrestrained ramble. Apologies in advance. It's like, oh. Yeah, that's immediately a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because we go on so many unrestrained rambles on the show. That's right. (laughs) No, the the emails we get are very, I find them entertaining. And I find them very, um, they're like so appreciative and respectful all the time. Yeah. 
you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they, they act like we're so much more important than we actually are. So I get a nice little ego boost every time. And it's always people just like thanking us and apologizing for being long winded. doesn't change. It doesn't keep them from being long winded. <laughs> they just apologize for being long winded. Should we dive in here? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Let's see. We should take turns. Why, why don't you read the first one? Sure. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Uh, please use a different ma- name. Okay. Uh, Sarah. First, uh, love the podcast. I also listen to it at work. Awesome. Current dilemma. I'm thinking about taking the June LSAT. Right now it is uh, April, the very beginning of April. So we have a couple months here to see if I might get me off some of the wait lists that I've been placed on and perhaps get me some more money at the schools that I've been accepted to. I haven't really heard of anyone doing this until I was looking up ways to get off wait lists desperation and this idea seemed to have a lot of proponents that was in the email that wasn't been editorial yeah I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I, did I did say desperation in the yeah. email in yeah thank you <laughs> i kind of felt that nervous all of a sudden too i'm not i'm not that cruel okay so yeah no uh that's that this is a thing uh for sure if your lsat score goes up they may become more interested in you let's see here so background took ben's class back in august took the september lsat Scored horribly low, 152, and realized that I hadn't worked as hard as I thought I had. After much despair, I took Ben's advice more seriously and basically drilled 35-minute sections and took the December LSAT. When I got my score back, I was so elated that it was 10 points higher, 162. I promptly sent in my applications next week and haven't looked back until now. Been waitlisted at several T30 schools and have two offers from lower schools with good money. I visited some of the schools I've been waitlisted at and really liked them and think one in particular would be a good fit for me. So in desperation to get off these waitlists, I'm now considering taking the Junel set. Yep. Uh, I figure there's nothing bad that could happen since I'm planning on attending this fall anyway, and in the unlikely situation I score really high, I could wait another year to apply. The only thing is I have no idea if I can do better on the LSAT. My practice scores were higher, yes, but the unseen game really seems to kill me on both the September and the December LSAT. So she's talking about the games that seem unusual in the sense that they haven't been, um, there's not been a game like them before. Okay. In December, I missed three questions in reading comp, four in the first logical reasoning, and eight exclamation point in the second and seven in the games. I always seem to do better on the first logical reasoning section, and I'm not sure if they make one section easier or if I'm not, just not as mentally sharp at that point that I get to it. Mm-hmm. Plus, I haven't thought about it, the, the LSAT, in months, so I would definitely have to get back into it. I mean, I think she said it. She said, I figure there's nothing bad that could happen since I'm not. I'm planning on attending this fall anyway. I don't, I don't think there's any downside to taking it, uh, even despite all these concerns. What, well, what do you think? They're not going to unadmit her. Nope. And the only it's possible that it puts her in a better negotiating position you know she probably doesn't want to do the work which i don't blame her for she's already admitted to a bunch of schools and has scholarships and all that shit and she's you know but if it's in the back of her mind that she thinks she can do better and she did have higher practice scores Mm -hmm. then i think she's she's definitely worrying about some things here that are not a thing it's yeah. not it's not a thing. The the quote unseen game is not a thing. All four of the games are unseen games. They are all you have to Im- improvise on the games. 
So mm -hmm. the games are going to be slightly different every time. And if you get good enough at the games, it feels like you've seen them, even if they are something that's brand new. Mm -hmm. I guess there were a couple of curveballs. Yeah. In the last year or two that, that, but even those curveballs just, they did not there. We, I don't know. I've complained about this a lot, but they're just not that hard. I'm sorry. They're not that hard. It's just that people panic. So, you know, maybe now that she's seen those curveballs, she will be able to cope with it. By the way, she missed seven in the games anyway, so she can only go up from that, right? It sounds like if, if it's one game that's causing her problems, well, even if that happened again, she'd just miss seven in the games again. Yeah, and if she did better in the other sections or whatever, right. then great. And if, um, if she doesn't get that, quote, unseen game then great. Yeah. Now all of a sudden she wins. I, I mean, the, here's the calculus. If you do better, you've now won immensely because yeah. you'll probably get off those wait lists or maybe even get money from other schools that didn't give you money before. Yeah. And if your score goes down, you just say, well, forget it. I'm yeah. just going to press forward with what I've got, which is the exact same situation you're in right now. So there's only an upside here. There's no downside. The downside is just the work, the time, the effort, whatever. I like it actually because I think it puts her in a good negotiating position, right? She, I'm sure these schools are like telling her that they want deposits and everything else. But she could just be like, listen, I have all these offers. I know I can do better on the LSAT. I'm registered for the June LSAT. And if you really want me, I mean, she's not going to say it like that, but that that would be her stance though, right? That's actually mm -hmm. how she feels is, hey, if you really want me, you're going to wait for this June LSAT score. And when this yeah. June LSAT score comes in, you're probably going to have to give me more money. So yep. instead of you, you know, hammering on me to start paying deposits, more like, no, I'm not paying your deposits. And if, oh, if you want to take away my offer, that's fine. I have a million other offers. Mm -hmm. And when I get this June LSAT score back, I'm going to have even better offers. So, you know, I'm in the driver's seat here. Yeah. The thing that the other thing that she's worried about, that's not a thing is whether one logical reasoning section is harder than the other. Uh, half the class thinks the first section is harder and half the class thinks the second section is harder. And it's all relative. And I don't think that's a thing that you need to be worrying about. In fact, I'm sure worrying about it is not helping you at all. Mm -hmm. I am sure you're going off of small samples here. Students always, you know, they like to look at the last three tests and go, oh, I always do worse on the first logical reasoning or, oh, I always do worse on the second logical reasoning. And it's like, OK, it's just that you're seeing trends where trends do not actually exist. Mm -hmm. When she says she missed four on one of the logical reasoning sections and eight on the other logical reasoning section, I look at that and say, oh, so you missed six per section on logical reasoning, which isn't great. And she could do better. I think you could just get better at logical reasoning. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't think it has to do with mental sharpness. I think it has to do with, hey, why did you miss those questions you missed? Mm -hmm. So the first place for her to dig in, if she hasn't already done it, is she needs to get that December test out and her score report out and look at those 12 logical reasoning questions that she missed and be really honest about why she's missing them. Yeah. It's not mental sharpness. It's not one section harder than the other it's you're not as good at logical reasoning as you should be because some people get to a point where they just don't miss any in logical reasoning or they miss one or two in logical reasoning mm -hmm. and so i would you know it, she if she's only missing three on reading comp that's like putting her in a potentially kind of elite range right and why not work on your logical reasoning skills and your game skills clearly she needs to work on both before the before the retake in june but I don't think it would take her more than, you know, like we always say, an hour a day, 
games and yeah. logical reasoning. Maybe one do games one day and logical reasoning the next and just go back and forth and get yourself in shape. It's only two months till the June exam. Yeah, I mean, knock it out of the park potentially. The other thing to keep in mind here, and hopefully this is true for Sarah as well, but a lot of people who are in this position where they're sort of taking the LSAT to, to make things better, but they don't necessarily have to take the LSAT, you know, they've done decently well and they're just trying to get a little better or hopefully a lot better, but whatever, uh, the pressure is sort of off. And yeah. so I, I hear from them pretty frequently, I should say, they say, hey, look, there's no stress here. There's no pressure. And so I actually can kind of sort of get into the test and I'm having fun learning about the test now, as opposed right. to before where I felt like I had to do this and I had to do well. Now I can actually think about these games and think about the logic behind them. And ironically, as I do that, now I become better and at the same time seem to have some fun. Yeah, it's upside. It's the bonus level, you know, at the end of the the phase or whatever she can just get extra bonus points here for fun and worst case scenario she just keeps the offers that she already has yeah so could be worth it i mean for two months worth of an hour a day and it can potentially totally change your life or save you one hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever yeah take that and divide it by the number of hours you expect to put in <laughs> seriously yeah and and give yourself a, a probabilistic chance like let's say you only have a 25 percent chance Sure. But if it's a 25% chance of $150,000 and you're going to spend a total of about 60 hours, mm-hmm. let's say, shit, I don't want to do the math. It's all right. I got a calculator. Okay. <laughs> so 150,000 times a 25% chance, that's going to give you $37,000. Yeah. Divided by 3750. Wait, what? Divided by 60 hours. Oh, plus yeah, divided by 60 a day hours. for the test. So make it like 66 hours. Sure. 66 that's $568 an hour. So of expected value. Of expected, expected value. value. Yeah, if she actually gets it, then it's like... Well, times four. $2,200 an hour, yeah. $2,200 an hour, yeah. If she actually gets it. But at the expected value, an economist would say that you are you're, you got a $500-something expected value there. $500 an hour. That's more money than you're going to make as a lawyer, so... Uh, yeah, some lawyers do better than that. But so unless Sarah, unless you're making that already and your time should be devoted devoted to that, actually, you shouldn't even be listening to this podcast. So um, <laughs> go do something else if you're already making that. Otherwise, uh, every time you sit down and study for an hour, you're doing that. And in re- the reality is everyone should do this calculation, right? Yeah. When you're thinking about taking a class or whatever, I know that's self-serving, but even if you get a small scholarship, right? Like what are what are some pretty common... Small scholarships, $10,000 a, a year, something yeah, like that. Sure. So $30,000. And let's say that the class increases your likelihood of getting that by some percentage, right? So let's say you have a 25% chance yeah. now of getting that again. So multiply that by 25. You get uh, $7,500. Divide that by, let's say you study for 12 weeks. That's $600 a week that you're... Yeah. expected to earn yeah by the way if this conversation about expected value ev calculations is bewildering you you should really find some resources and learn about expected value it's a very powerful economic concept very, very useful one of the most useful things i would say that i ever learned in college yeah don't you I would think? Say, yeah it's like the one thing that <laughs> has practical application beyond right. uh, the four years that you're there right yeah, yeah totally okay Thanks, Sarah. Do it and uh, write us back and let us know how much more money you got. 
Hi guys, I love the podcast. It has proven to be very helpful in terms of supplementing my self-studying for the June LSAT. It's also a great way to make my workday less monotonous and boring. As an aside, you guys once said you found it funny how people listen to your podcast while at work. Ben mentioned that he always wondered what types of work people do while listening to the podcast. To answer Ben's question, I work at an e-commerce company filing claims against freight carriers for any lost lost or damaged merchandise. Cool. All of what I do at my job revolves around the federal Carmack Amendment. In order to determine liability of a carrier, I need to retrieve and review the legally binding documents, such as a bill of lading and delivery receipt. That sounds fascinating. Hmm. The main reason I'm reaching out to you is because I just finished taking my first full-length timed practice exam since my diagnostic exam back in January. Whoa, that's a long time between exams. I scored a 155 on this exam. My diagnostic exam was a 145. Despite the fact that a 155 is not a stellar score, I am encouraged by the fact that I was able to make a 10-point increase since my diagnostic. Yeah, awesome. I'm registered for the June LSAT, which is now a little more than two months away. Given that both of you work with students on a regular basis, I feel that you would have some helpful insight in terms of whether or not it seems plausible to be scoring in the low 160s by June. Yes. For sure. <laughs> okay. Next, uh, next that... email. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. Um, absolutely. You're on the way there. And 160, yeah, from 155 to 161 is just that happens all the time. I am and always have been a diehard Bostonian. I am a student at Northeastern University, my one of my alma mater. Northeastern, oh. did you know that? I have a degree. No, I didn't know that. I have a degree. I have a master's degree in journalism from Northeastern University. Oh, the life you could have lived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the glorious, illustrious life of a reporter. <laughs> I did have a press pass, briefly a press pass to Fenway Park, and it was kind of fun. But also I realized almost immediately that I did not want to be a baseball reporter for all my life. <laughs> I'm a student at Northeastern University, and I intend to apply to three law schools in Boston, one of which is Northeastern. I can tell you what the other two are. That's going to be BU and BC. Um, in terms of the other two schools, my score of a 155 on today's practice exam would put me above the 75th percentile for both GPA and LSAT score. That said, Northeastern's median score is a 161. Holy shit, really? Man, I think Northeastern used to be like a kind of like way down in the rankings law school. If their median is now 161, they've come up a lot. Hmm. Anyway, 161 median at Northeastern, according to this correspondent. While I'm on the dot for their median GPA, 3.5, a 155 would put me in their lower 25th percentile for LSAT score. Yeah. Ideally, I'd like to hit between a 160 and a 163 on the June exam. A score such as this one would make me an even more competitive candidate for scholarships, which we talk about it all the time, right? Specific numerical goals. If they can help you to motivate, that's good. But uh, how did he pick out 160 to 163? Why not 164 or 165? So I don't know how those arbitrary numbers just always kind of... Well, isn't he just basing it off of North Northeastern's median score? Or their 75th percent is maybe their 75th is 164 or something. I don't Yeah. I don't know. What, who knows? For the remaining time I have left before the June LSAT, I plan to do time sections and thorough review afterward. Good. Given these numbers, what are your thoughts on a five to seven point score increase? Have you seen such an increase in the last two months before the exam? Yes, for sure. I would do some numbers here. I'd say he has a, um, 
I'd say he has a se- I mean, who knows? We don't know a whole lot about Eric, but a 70% chance of getting five to seven points between now and the June L set. And yeah. probably a 50% chance or a 30 to 50% chance for getting above that, like yeah. 10 points, yeah. you know, 165-ish. I would give him a, a really good shot. I would give him an even better shot if he got a little bit of help. I mean, it's self-serving to say this, but boy, people that are scoring 155, there's there's a lot of things they don't understand about the test. And, you know, he doesn't say if he did a class. He doesn't say if he read any books. I'd be interested in what his best section is. I'd be interested in what his worst section is. And in a tutoring session, you know, even in a, in, I do two hour tutoring sessions, but even in a two hour tutoring session, I almost guarantee that I would blow this guy's mind with some stuff about the test that he would just be like, he's just not thinking about it in the right way. Like I could, I could, you could do it. I could do it. We could look at his mistakes and we could just be like, Hey man, you know, the reason why you missed this one is because I'm pretty sure you don't understand X, Y, Z. It's almost guaranteed that he doesn't understand the difference between sufficient and necessary assumptions. In a two-hour tutoring session, we could diagnose the mistakes he's making, and we would pretty easily be able to say, here's five things that are going to, you know, totally change your perception yeah, no, I agree 100%. It's interesting. I just met with someone the other day. Just a, a brief like, hey, I'll talk to you for a little bit to see if I can help you a free, you know, consult, brief consult. And uh, this person was reading the question stem first, right? <laughs> and I, I said, well, okay, I, I know a lot of people do that and they talk about that, but I would strongly suggest doing it the other way. And, and the first thing he said was, well, that's how I started because he was actually working out of the Power Score book. So I was a little surprised that he was doing that because the Power Score books say to read the passage first. And I said, well, so that's what you did at first. And he's like, and that didn't work for me. And so now I read the the question stem first. And I said, okay, well, why didn't it work for you? And he said, well, I read the passage and then I would read the question and I would forget what I had read in the passage, so I'd have to read the passage again. So I was just reading the passage twice. Now if I read the question, then I can just read the question, the passage once. And I said, huh? wait a second here. You <laughs> forgot what you read in the passage? That means you're not reading it as yeah. well as you could. And, he, you know, he wasn't really convinced. I, I was I was trying to just persuade him of this. So I said, okay, look, let's, let's do a question together. And he pulled out a question that he struggled with, and and – as everyone does, you know, it's the first question out of his his mouth was, okay, look, this is a question I was struggling with. I want to talk about answers. No. I think it was B and D. Nope. And I said, I, I don't want to talk about B and D. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're not talking about B and D. We're talking about the argument. The reason why yeah, you missed it is that you don't understand the argument. So so I go through the argument and, oh, this is the other thing. And I think this is the, the part of the reason he was resistant. And, and maybe some of our listeners are, are still resistant to this idea. Hopefully not by now if, if you've been listening for a while. But he said, look, when I, when I read it before and I, and I forgot what the passage said, I was reading it really carefully. <laughs> and that's where I said, wait, <laughs> I don't think you're reading it really carefully if you don't even remember it. Because you need to read the sentence. You need to stop and think about what it means and react to it and so forth and yada, yada, yada. So then we start going through this question together. And I said, okay, read the first sentence. And he read it. And then I was like, well, what do you think of that? And he's like, I get it. And I said, 
okay, well, what does it mean? Like, what is it saying? And he just quoted it back to me as they always do. And I'm like, okay, I, I still don't know if you really get this or if you just like think you get it. And so we kind of talked about, it was a formal logic question. We talked about, hey, look, there's like a group of people and most of them are doing this and the other ones may or may not be doing that. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I understood that. Uh, okay. So finally we get through all the sentences, which are all formal logic and kind of heavy, you know? And it's like, you understand this now, right? Inside and out. He's like, yeah, I get it. And so then we look at his two answer choices and he's like, oh yeah, that's obviously wrong. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, of course. We don't even need to sit here and talk about these answer choices because yeah. now you understand the passage. So I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but I was thinking about this like this short session that yeah. I had with this random guy who I think was finally convinced by the end that there is value in sort of really owning the passage. Yeah. But I think about how many people out there are scoring 155 or 165 or whatever. And are they really doing that? Do they really get it? Do they have to like engage with these sentences right. on such a level that they own them inside and out? Because so many people say, yes, yes, I'm reading really carefully. Right. And they think that's what we mean. Like, yeah. I get what you're saying. Read carefully. And I am. Yeah. And that's not what we're saying. One thing that we do for a living, right, we do this in our classes and we do this in tutoring, is we just demonstrate the proper method for doing a question. And it's it's amazing how often people just go, hey, I want to do number 15, you know, because I'm just I'm stuck between B and D and I don't get it. I just like, got to talk about 15 particularly. I really want to talk about B and D. And then I read the argument. Mm -hmm. All I do is read it. And then they go, oh, never mind. <laughs> I totally get it now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because when you you hear like the inflection in my voice, you hear the skepticism probably when I get to the conclusion or you hear me emphasize certain words because I can tell that they've switched, to, you know, switched terms or they've left something out or they've said something that's kind of bullshit or whatever. And all you it's like it's amazing that people I can just see the light bulbs going on, you know, like, oh, oh, man. And. And it's amazing because it's so much easier than the students are making it out to be. Mm -hmm. They get mm -hmm. down into those answer choices or they get so caught up in the question stem and the answer choices that they, they're playing this game that's just this weird arcane, you know, it's like, of course it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because you didn't make sense of the argument first. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why you got off on that tangent is that this is one of many like mind blowing kinds of moments that, that we have with students. So, you know, again, like talk about doing that uh, expected value analysis for somebody like Eric, who's, you know, really trying to get into Northeastern or even get scholarships at Northeastern or scholarships at these other two schools that he's applying to. If he spent 500 or or $1,000 on tutoring and had like a couple sessions, the, the chances of him getting five points out of those sessions, it's not guaranteed at all. But those five points could be worth tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Of course, it's self-serving to say this, but that's why we're able to charge what we're able to charge is because the value that people get out of it is just enormous. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, not, not everybody. I do say pretty regularly that if you're unhappy with the tutoring session, I'm happy to give you your money back. Yeah. You know, like I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised after a tutoring session if somebody was like, well, you, first of all, no one's ever said it, but if someone said, you know, oh, I, that was bullshit. I didn't get anything out of it. I'd just be like, oh, well, yep. <laughs> I'm really sorry you feel that way. But yeah. uh, more often than not, we uncover four or five areas of, of confusion. And 
all of a sudden you walk away just thinking like, oh, wow, the test is, wow, it's so, so easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And especially when you're at 155, I mean, there's, there's a lot of easy stuff between 155 and 161. Mm-hmm. That said, I like the plan of doing timed sections and review. It sounds like Eric has been uh, listening faithfully to the podcast and taking our advice. So uh, I've, I give Eric uh, yeah, very good odds of reaching his goal if he continues to uh, work diligently. Yeah, yeah. Keep it up. Next one. Go ahead. Sure. So, hey, guys, for the last month or so, I've been meaning to start studying for the June or more realistically September test. Okay. But have been procrastinating forward slash nervous to take a diagnostic. Okay, I'm just going to stop right there. I don't know what the rest of this email says, but if you're nervous about taking a practice test that is not going to account for anything officially, I think you're thinking about the test in the wrong way. You're thinking about it as like a self-assessment or <laughs> a test a test of your self-worth or something like that. There's There's nothing wrong with taking a test, getting a bunch of questions wrong, and just diving in and being like, okay, this is what I suck at. Now let me fix it. That's the fastest way to get better. You want a metaphor? Go for it. Yeah, it's like my car won't start, but I'm <laughs> nervous to like take it take it into the shop so that they can see what's wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, I'd rather just continue to have it be a piece of shit and not, you know, I'm going to read books about it or something. Sure. I'm not going to yeah. just go like get it taken care of. Yeah. A diagnostic test, I mean, no matter how low you score on the first day of class or on your first diagnostic test, the point is not to like prescribe here's what your entire future is going to look like. You know, it's not. Yeah. I see results on the first day of class where I'm like, oof, you know, this is going to be an uphill battle. Sure. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. And I do see people once in a while, people improve by 30 points or something and, and have this like earth shattering amount of improvement. So no matter how low you score on your first diagnostic, you can still get to law school. But until you do that diagnostic, you just have no concept of where you're at or what kind of work you should even be doing. Yeah. He could be a lot higher or a lot lower than he thinks he is. And people put it off for a month or two months or six months and like, man, just do it. Yeah. If you're ever feeling nervous, you're probably thinking about the test in the wrong way. Yeah. It's just it's just a way to figure out where you're at and figure out what you need to work on. In fact, getting questions wrong is often a good thing because it focuses you on what you suck at and then you can start fixing it. Yeah, it's a game and you're going to suck at a game the first time you play it. So what? You, yep. you, you play it, you lose, you try again. Yeah. Ooh, I think that's almost even a better analogy, right? Like no one hesitates to play some video game. They're like, oh, well, I only got to level one. Yeah, I died immediately. It fell off a cliff. Oh, no. Or, or like, this, <laughs> yeah, it, it's totally like reading a book about Super Mario Brothers before you play Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So he goes on. I've never seen any sort of LSAT question and was worried that my diagnostic score would be so low there'd be no way to get my score up. This weekend... I had 12 hours of driving to do, and my brother-in-law suggested listening to some early episodes of your podcast. Wow, thanks, brother-in-law. Yeah. To get your feet wet. After the first leg of my journey, I took a diagnostic and scored a 154. Oh, sorry. Yeah, terrible. For <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> done. Yeah. Well, way to go. Um, after some analysis, I found that I had one section where I guessed particularly good. 
I'd guess my true score was closer to 150-ish. Hey, that's good. Just think of this thing as like random numbers anyways. I was pleasantly surprised with this score and I'm now motivated to keep studying and taking practice tests. Ah. So for anyone else out there, take a lesson from Ted here. What if you had, what if you're procrastinating your day of joy, right? So go ahead and take it. Anyways, some of those early episodes I went back and listened to I took some of the fear out of the test and gave me some basic test rules. I have already used some of your tips while studying and recommended the podcast to a few people. I'm a big procrastinator, and it was your podcast that got the ball rolling on my test prep. Looking forward to listening to more discussions in the coming months. Nice. Wow. Well, this is actually a, a great story. I, I'm sorry I went off on that tangent for a long time. No, but, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Ted. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted, brother-in-law. Um, thanks, everybody who who writes us and says nice things. I mean, even if you don't have a question, we do appreciate you know the the feedback and the encouragement to keep <laughs> to keep going, to keep uh, to keep doing this. Uh, especially now, we've been doing it every week, so it does take some some work um, on our part, and you know it makes it worth it when we get emails like this. If you really want to help us, by the way especially if you're like on a zero dollar budget and you but you feel like you want to give back to the show if you go into itunes and leave us a rating and maybe write us a review that definitely helps people find us if you tell a friend i mean that's even better if you post it to your pre-law association at your school i mean we we really really appreciate stuff like that so if you've got a website or if you've got a social media account, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing out there for LSAT prep, if you want to throw in a little shout out to the Thinking LSAT podcast, one, you'll probably find some other people that are listening to it. Two, you know, you might be able to uh, turn it on for some other folks. And uh, we would really, really appreciate that. You know, the one idea I liked too was uh, that one guy who's now teaching at Kaplan said he was going to write it on the board on the first day of class. Well, I'm assuming most of our listeners aren't teachers, but hey, you know, you could raise your hand in class if you're taking an LSAT class and be like, hey, um, I've been hearing some really good advice on the Thinking LSAT podcast, and I guarantee you. (laughs) Yeah, raise your hand in a like a Kaplan class and go, hey, I heard on the Thinking LSAT podcast that reading the question stem first is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be much appreciated. That'd be one way of paying us back for sure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the other thing that's encouraging is the uh, the number of uh, downloads, right? You said the other day that they were going up or something. Yeah, we've we continue to uh, you know partially because our back catalog is is get, is growing. Yeah, the, we get very limited podcast stats because we really don't know what we're doing. Frankly, we <laughs> we, <laughs> we started this you know almost three years ago and we have very little idea what we're doing. We we just kind of threw the thing up there and and saw what saw if it would stick or not and it did stick but we we see some data and we know that march we had more downloads march of 2017 was our biggest month ever for downloads for the show so yeah we we love it when we see those numbers go up and we get some motivation from that and you can definitely help the numbers yeah write it up on the whiteboard at your your in your class just go write thinking lsat podcast on the on the whiteboard (laughs) before everybody gets there (laughs) no one will know (laughs) yeah you're right. the first one in the room and it says big on the board thinking else that podcast. Well, you have to get there early, write it on the board and then like go to the bathroom or something. Yeah. yeah leave and then come back in and be like, Oh, what's that? Yeah. And then when you walk in, you go, Oh, the thinking else that podcast. 
<laughs> cool. Wow. Someone else is listening to that. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> Very good. Very yeah. good. Okay. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted's brother-in-law. Next one says, hi, I am planning to take the June LSAT and I have been, quote, practicing since mid-January. I took my first practice test and got a 142. I have been listening to your podcast and have started practicing more and more. I am self-studying because unfortunately I can't afford any courses. My goal is to reach between 160 to 167. Uh, okay, that's, you know, that happens. 142 to one mid 160s, a 20 point improvement. It's uh, less than 50% of the time. Oh yeah, it's 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 not unreasonable, but it's also not likely. Yeah, I mean it's yeah it's you you can totally do it. It's just that the average person, you know, if there were a hundred of you, less than fifty of you would make it. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Since listening to you, I have done a complete one eighty on my study plan and started practicing more and more instead of following with a book and no practice. Listening to your strategies made me realize I was doing the wrong thing, and now I'm anxious I may not have enough time to study and reach a good score to start this fall. Wait, what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We've said this a million times on the show. If you right now, if you're planning to take the June LSAT, unless you have already been admitted like what's her name, Sarah, unless you've already been admitted, you are, you should really not be going to law school this fall. You should not be taking the June LSAT. I mean, you shouldn't even be taking the February LSAT and going to school in the same year. You're right on time for the 2018 admission cycle. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're thinking of taking the June LSAT for the first time, that's perfect because you can take the June LSAT and apply in the fall for the following fall admission. Yeah. And if you, if the June LSAT, uh, doesn't help you reach your goals, then you can fall back to September and still apply early. So this is the perfect time for next fall, not this fall. And the reason we do that is because when we apply early in the cycle, we get better offers of admission and we get better scholarship offers. When we apply late in the cycle, we get into shitty schools with shitty scholarship offers. And boy, if you're taking the June LSAT, that is incredibly late in the cycle. So the worst thing that could happen here is you get a mediocre score and get admitted to a mediocre school and pay just crazy amounts of money for it. Mm -hmm. And that's a disaster. So, you know, if you're not ready for June, you shouldn't take it in June and you should just take it in September and use December as a backup, but you should be applying for, for fall of 2018 admission. You know, the one, and by the way, if you're going to apply for fall of 2018 admission, you want to get your application in this fall, 2017, if you can. Yeah. Or if you take the December LSAT, then you have to get your application in, in January of 2018 for 2018 admission. But that's like the latest that really I'm comfortable with. I hate when people apply later than that. Yeah. One exception to that is people who are going on like a GI Bill type of a deal. Okay. Because GI Bill, if you're going on one of these deals where they're going to pay for three years of school no matter where you go. Yeah. Then at that point, it might just be like, hey, I'm just trying to get into my local law school because they're going to pay me. The government's going to pay the tuition and the government's going to pay my living expenses and I don't give a shit. So if that's you, then fine. Yeah. But for all other test takers, you really need to be applying early in the cycle, not late. Yeah. Okay. I need some tips into what I can do to improve my score. My weakest section was LR with only nine correct. I would love any additional tips you may have. <laughs> There's a lot there, you know. Uh, it's not it's not like 
we're going to just give some LR tips and you're going to magically go from 9 correct to 19 correct. You need to study the shit out of logical reasoning. Yeah, well, it seems like step number one is probably try to get 9 out of 10 and her 5 out of 5, yeah. right? Who knows how many questions she's doing here, but my guess is that she has attempted like 20, if not all of them. Right, that's what most people do. They attempt 20 questions, 25 questions, and they get 9 correct, and they they just, oh, I don't understand what's going on. Okay, well, to get 9 correct, you, you don't even need to attempt 9 questions. You could get nope. 7 out of the first 7 and then randomly guess on the rest of the section, and you should be able to get 10 or 11 correct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, slow down, focus on accuracy. We could, yeah, give out those intermediate targets again. You need to be getting 5 out of the first 5. If you're not, you don't understand what you're doing. You know, you're just not reading carefully enough. Mm-hmm. Five out of the first five, nine out of the first 10. And once you can do that, then you can get 14 out of the first 15, 13 or 14 or 15 out of the first 15. And then randomly guess on the rest of the section, and you're going to already be at 15 points or more on the section. Yeah. Which is a dramatic improvement from nine correct. So slow down, focus on the earlier, easier ones is step one if you're only getting nine correct. She's also uh, self-studying because of her financial situation, right? So I would just say, hey, go back to all the episodes in which we talked about an LR question and just work through all of those one at a time, do it yourself, and then listen to our discussion of it. That would get you through a ton of different question types, the most fundamental strategies, which we were just talking about for the last person. I think that'd be huge. I have a website. I have a page of free resources. If you go to foxlsat.com slash free, you'll find my free resources page. Ben, I know you have a ton of free resources on your website as well. That's what strategyprep.com slash something. It's actually the best is just strategyprep.com and there's a link that says free. So there's free resources on my site. There's free resources on Ben's site. There's hundreds of out 150 hours probably of the podcast that you can go back and listen to. One thing to... To, you know, as just a, like a cautionary tale here for Jen is like, it sounds Jen as if you are maybe underestimating the importance of this test and how much work other people are putting in. You know, it says she's been practicing since mid January, which is great, but it sounds like she hasn't listened to that much of the podcast actually, based on mm-hmm. kind of her the, the her questions. So yeah, I mean. We do have listeners who have listened to like every episode of the podcast more than once. <laughs> and where there are crazy people out there who have done every test, every all 80 of the practiced LSATs three times. And um, and we know it's hard to do with work and everything else. But um, just, you know, why push for the June LSAT if you're not going to be ready? And why push for especially push for 2017 admission? Because you're definitely not ready for that. Yeah. By the way, I should just clarify that the people who are taking all 80 tests three times are Christopher Walken crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, no, it's insane. You don't need to do all the – if you do every question three times, I mean, that's just like masochism. It's also very lawyerly of you. I mean, that is like – that is is a lawyer. (laughs) It's not not a lawyer. And lawyers aren't not crazy, you know? Like they they are. So work enthusiasts, that's what we're looking for, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, rest of her email, is this realistic goal 160 to 167 by the June exam, considering I had an initial score of 142? I think I can reach it, considering I took my practice test from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. after an overwhelming day at work and my concentration was just not there. 
I'm planning to take another full-length practice test this Saturday, all refreshed, and I am rooting to try and get a score closer to the 150s. Sure, I mean, yeah, one data point, 142, uh, especially if you took it at night after work. Okay, yeah, fine, sure. You could have done better, I'm sure. And if you take another test and you score 152 on Saturday, then that makes it a lot more reasonable that two months will get you to 160. Yeah. Um, all that said, if two months of studying gets you to 160, imagine what more studying would have gotten you. Yeah, this is why she needs to shoot for June to keep the, the, the momentum. fire on. Yeah. yeah, but then just to have a backup plan for September. And maybe she doesn't take it in June if she doesn't get close to what she wants to get to by that time. But I, I think she can make a decent amount of progress and then maybe end up taking it in September. Yeah, but to be clear, do not take it in June unless you think you're going to get the highest score you're capable of. Right? And If you don't think you have reached your potential, then just don't take it in June. Well, I think that sounds a little, I think that's a little stronger than what it sounds, right? Like, I don't know, man. I'm worried that she's going to end up selling herself short here. I think sometimes people might take that as like, oh, well, my potential is really high. I think if you've made a lot of progress and you're close to a score that you'd be happy with, I would consider taking it, especially if it's your first time, because then you can get a an official score on record and that can be sort of like an anchor to push you forward to the next test yeah sometimes people might i mean i think people could interpret what you just said and, and take it too sure. far and never take the test like oh i'm uh, you right. know, i could always do better right if i don't get 180 then i'm not going to take the test no i mean that's not what i'm saying but i just i just people like aren't a lot of times especially people like at this level are just mm-hmm. not not realistic enough sure and I just worry that you don't know what you're up against here. You, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And yeah. so I'm, I would be very concerned if, you know, she practices and she gets her score up to 151 and she's just like, well, you know, I'm going to take it. And, and she just takes it and gets a 148 and then applies to some shitty school and pays full price. And it's like, Oof. you know, yeah. you're... <laughs> That's just such a, you're setting yourself up for just a major fail. I would say if she, in her case, if she got up to like 158 or something like around that range, then it might be worth shooting for and taking it, even though she hasn't hit 160 yet. I mean, if, how about this? You know, what's, do you have a number where it's like you, I know it's, there's, it's obviously a curve and it's obviously probabilistic, but what's the number where you are kind of cringing when people go to law school? Like what, what's the, what number do you wish people had or oh, they yeah. didn't go to law school? If you had to pick one number, which I know is kind of ridiculous. I would say that, you know, I haven't thought about that a whole lot, but I, I, I think, okay, I'm just, this is just the number is that's in my gut. Yep. <laughs> and I'm thinking like a one, anything lower than a 155 I'm starting to get nervous about the, yeah. the quality of school and uh, what that person's plans are. Yeah. And and by the way, we both know successful lawyers who scored under 155. Yep. I, I have, I've got students who went from a 130-something to a 149 and ended up going to law school and being successful starting their own law firm and being fine, you know? Mm-hmm. 
with a mountain of debt, of course, but they wanted, they really wanted to be a lawyer and the mountain of debt was worth it. And they actually made it, you know, but some of these people like took the bar four times, Wow! but they made it and you know, yeah. that's all, that's a success story. But for every one of those who went to law school with a 149, I can point you to 10 people who went to law school with a 149 who didn't make it. Yeah. Who, who either didn't make it through law school or didn't make it past the bar exam or made it past the bar exam somehow but didn't get a job or they did get a job but they only practiced for a year or two and hated it and quit. And all of these people have mountains of debt. And so I like Ben's 155. I was actually the, – the number that was in my mind was 160. And again, I, I, of course, I know tons of students, I have tons of people who went to law school successfully with a score in the 150s. And don't mm. accuse me of elitism because that is not what this is. This is trying to help people avoid a potentially crippling financial decision. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about this more than like anyone else except for probably Ben. <laughs> right. I mean, who didn't start thinking about it until five seconds ago? <laughs> no, you, not that, not the number, but I mean, just yeah. this issue, like the moral sure, quandary sure. that we're in, right? Because we've been doing mm-hmm. this for a decade, and it's it's very it's very difficult, and we 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 struggle with it all the time. Whether whether most people, especially in the one forties, but even in the one fifties, and sometimes even in the one sixties, should be going to law school. Yeah. Because I know plenty of washouts who scored in the 160s as well. Yeah. We're talking final score here. We're not talking starting score. So don't don't panic if you're like, oh, I've never gotten 155, so I'm done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah we don't, I don't give a shit about the starting score. And I've seen plenty of people make it from 142 to 162. And, you know, like that's, you can end up getting a full ride with a 162. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I'm not I'm not talking about your starting score. I'm talking about your official LSAT score, your highest official LSAT score, the one that you're going to apply to law school with. Mm-hmm. If it's a 155, just realize that both Ben and I are like gritting our teeth kind of, like cringing, like, oh boy, what kind of an investment are you making here? Yeah, you really have to come to the table and say, well, look, I'm going to this law school with this score and my plan is to do this and I'm going to go and work at this firm because I have I know that all I need is this JD from this school or whatever. When people start talking like that, I think, oh, okay, yeah. well, you know, you know more about the situation than I do, sure. so go right ahead. But if if it's just sort of like, well, this is what I got and now I'm going to start applying and see what happens, it's like, hey, yeah, it's just like, man, you're setting yourself up to get totally ripped off by these law schools because yep. they're, you know, they're just, they're sharks, you know, they're, they're out there to get your tuition dollars. And yeah, I know they believe in their educational mission, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is that, you know, less than half of the people who graduate are ending up practicing law successfully. Yeah. So how, how, how good of a bet is this for you if you're barely squeaking into the school in the first place and paying full price? Anyway, sorry. Yeah. We, I, I know we always end up going dark like this. <laughs> I was just thinking of our tagline. It's like the Thinking LSAT podcast, you know, the place for upbeat motivation. You know? <laughs> yeah. A former student of mine sent me a mug that she had printed that said Fox. It's got my Fox LSAT logo on it. And then the tagline on the bottom is just don't go to law school. That's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Anyway, big fan of you guys. Jen. Thanks, Jen. We're a big fan of you too. And I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit stern, but you know, you ask for advice and I want to give the best, most honest advice. You want to do the next one? Sure. 
I'm a new listener to your podcast and wanted to respond to the student from episode 87 who wanted to go to law school so they could be a lobbyist in their state legislature. Oh, yeah. I like this one. This is a good email. Cool. They do not have to be a lawyer for that. I am a lobbyist in my state legislature as a non-lawyer for a lawyer association, and half the lobbyists I work with are also not lawyers. This is absolutely a wonderful job. Hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, I only paused because I was wondering if it's so wonderful, why is she going to law school? Maybe we'll find out. Yeah. And one for which a law degree is not needed. If that is truly the student's interest, I suggest they focus on networking, taking on policy-focused work, and having informational interviews with the lobbyists they know rather than pursue a law degree. Cool. If they want to do law work in interim, that is, of course, a consideration, but there are many options for interim work that pay well, are fulfilling, and do not require taking three years out of your career and going into this into lots of debt. I, unfortunately, do have to go to law school because I want to be a litigator. Uh, Okay, there we go. I am taking the June LSAT. My diagnostic was a 159. Wow, nice work. And my goal is 175, very precise. My concern is that my scores are currently inconsistent. I've gotten as high as 171, but sometimes still get in the mid-160s. Do you have any tips on how to increase my consistency and eke out those last few points over the next two months. I do not have a good option to retake it in September because it conflicts with a wedding I must attend. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me laugh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Wow, this is a serious wedding. That range, mid-160s, the high... Well, to 171 is is a totally normal range. That's six points, uh, maybe, and that's that's a very typical fluctuation. She's probably somewhere in the high 160s. Do you have any tips on how to increase my consistency? Yeah, there's yeah. no such thing as consistency. You can you can move up your average, but you're never going to get really consistent until you like peg it, right? If you start scoring 178, 178, 178, then that makes you know that's consistent. But even people who score in the low 170s fairly regularly still have plus or minus quite a lot almost always sure well one problem just to clarify is as you go up in your score one point can be as much or one raw score point so if you miss question 17 for example that's an lsat point yeah that can be a whole lsat point or sometimes in the in the 170s range that can be two lsat points so that's somewhat explains the volatility. I think what she's asking then, I guess, is how can I increase, or what she maybe needs to ask is how can I increase, you know, that range so that my lows are more like the high 160s and my highs are more like the high 170s. In which case, I mean, I sound like a broken record, but I think just focusing on accuracy and understanding, truly understanding whatever you're reading, that's where all these problems occur. Yeah. I think sometimes what people are not letting themselves do is when they get down to two answer choices, right? And they're like, oh, it's either A or D. And let's assume for a second that they've done everything that they should have up front. So they really understand the passage. And this is actually a pretty close question. The answer choices are pretty closely worded and they're tempting and they both seem pretty good. I, I I get the feeling that sometimes people kind of throw in the towel. Like they say, like, 
okay, I understand the passage. I'm down to A and D, and these are really close, and uh, it seems like D. And, and there's something that they don't like about D, but they don't let themselves sort of double down because of that qualm. It's like a small voice in their head saying, wait a sec, what about the word only? Yeah. There's a problem with that word only. And they don't let themselves like reevaluate, say, okay, hold on. I don't like this answer. Is there something I'm missing? Let me look at the other answer again or something. At yeah. some point you got to throw in the towel. But I, I think that people aren't letting themselves really think through everything that their mind is trying to tell them. Yeah. It's, it's about truly deeply understanding your mistakes. So to double down on Ben's advice, you know, even I bet when Anita scored her 171, she was like having a party, right? She's just like, Mm -hmm. yes, awesome. Best score. And that's good. Fine. Pat yourself on the back. That's awesome. But what about the 10 that you missed though? Yeah. Because you missed 10 on that test. And yeah. And you know, those 10 that you missed, uh, those are problems. Those are things you don't understand. And they, they also probably indicate that there were five others that you, you know, kind of narrowed it down and got it right, but you weren't really exactly sure why. So I would be focusing on the mistakes always just just look at the mistakes. And especially at that level, it's, it's possible that you're not going to be able to figure it out on your own. So, mm-hmm. you know, get a study partner, get a book or get a tutor for a session or two and just see if we can make a dramatic difference for you. Yeah. I know I'm doing a lot of selling this episode, but like I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a true believer, man. I know that, that we can make a big difference for people. Mm-hmm. So rather than thinking about your inconsistency, you should be shooting higher and you should be thinking about the ones you missed. It's the eking out the last few points. That's the important thing. It's not the consistency thing. Yeah. Because you know what she's consistently doing is she's consistently missing at least 10 questions every every single test, mm-hmm. right? 171 is her highest, and she's scoring in the mid-160s. That means she's missing between 10 and 20 on every test. Mm-hmm. And so every one of those ones that she misses, you know, that's a good opportunity to, to try to learn. Study partner, books, tutor, do it. Figure them out and really figure them out so that you actually understand them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, I just had to like comment. I, I really liked the wedding bit about this email because, mm. you know, like what we were just talking about at the top of the show with the LSAC being or the LSAT and being a dinosaur. Yeah. It's, this is exactly the reason why, you know, they need to update the, the test. It's so silly that Anita's whole life and career is, you know, going to be affected by the but the fact that the LSAT is only offered four times a year and one of these dates in September happens to overlap with a wedding that she has to attend. Yeah. And I mean who knows what the wedding the wedding could be her sister or her daughter or like like of her best friend or a million things that she credibly like has to go to. Yeah. <laughs> and and then it's like, "Oh no, sorry, the LSAT." <laughs> you just <laughs> you're, you're you're screwed. You have to wait another year to go to law school because of that. <laughs> so silly. It is silly. Yeah. I mean, it won't be. Uh, this won't be happening in time for Anita to benefit. But uh, hopefully, you know, a year from now, we'll be having some good news about the LSAT modernizing and being able to take the test continuously. For now, it's yeah. looking like Anita just needs to knock it out of the park in June. And if she doesn't, you know, you got December as a backup. And I suppose you could always just wait another year to go to law school. Yeah, and December is still a, a good test for it. I mean, it's not great, it's but not, it's not like February. You it's know? not late. It's not late like February is. 
Yeah. It's not early. And Levine always says, get your applications in by Thanksgiving um, if you want to apply, quote, early. So that's why Anita is wanting to take the June. And then she wishes she could use September as a backup. But yeah, alas, she has a conflict. Okay. Time for one question from June 2007. Yeah. So we'll do one logical reasoning question and then we'll wrap it up. This is from the June 2007 LSAT. You can download that and you can turn to section three and you can try question number 22 on your own. Pause now if you'd like to do that question on your own and then hear our analysis. If the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase, the coffee shop will have to increase its prices. Okay, we have conditional reasoning. Yep. If the price continues to increase, which we don't know whether that's going to happen or not, but if it does, then the coffee shop will have to increase its prices. In that case, either the coffee shop will begin selling non-coffee products or its coffee sales will decrease. Mm. So we don't know which one of those, but one of those two things are going to have to happen. Uh, Either they'll begin selling non-coffee products or its coffee sales will decrease. One of those things will happen for sure. Yeah, so the nice thing about this is that although this is conditional reasoning, and I think that some people would instantly feel like the need to diagram. Oh, no. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But in this case, I really don't feel like you need to because it flows so easily, right? Like you can just see this in your mind. If this price goes up, then... They'll have to increase its prices, in which case you'll have to do one of these two things. It's just like a flow. And yeah. just just if you understand it, just leave it at that. Yeah, you're the manager of the coffee shop and you're looking at the price for coffee beans going up and you're like, man, if this keeps going up, we're going to have to either start selling other shit, what, tea? Mm-hmm. Or our coffee sales are going to decrease. Yep. Okay, I got it. And I would definitely not diagram. I, I don't like to diagram logical reasoning unless I have to in order to understand the argument. I yeah. think people waste time diagramming. I think they also confuse themselves a lot when they start doing all the abstraction of diagramming. So I just, yeah. I would skip it unless you really have to do it. Yeah. Okay. But selling non-coffee products will decrease the coffee shop's overall profitability. Moreover, the coffee shop can avoid a decrease in overall profitability only if its coffee sales do not decrease. Ooh, that's a little nasty one there. It's a lot simpler than what it reads, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all that last sentence says, <laughs> it says, moreover, the coffee shop can avoid a decrease in overall profitability only if its coffee sales do not decrease. And what that yeah. means is basically, if you think about the contrapositive of that, it's just, hey, if the coffee sales go down, then our profits are going to go down. Yep. So, you know, this whole thing boils down to, If coffee beans go up, we're going to have to raise our prices. And in that Mm -hmm. case, we're going to start selling other shit, which will decrease our profitability. Or our coffee sales will decrease, which will also decrease our profitability. Yep. So if that price goes up, we're going to have problems. If the price for coffee beans goes up, you can put all this together before you even read the question stem. You can put all this together to correctly, logically conclude that if the price for coffee beans continues to increase, then our profitability is going to decrease. And and let's clarify that that is a conditional statement. We have no idea whether these negative things will happen because we have no idea whether the price for coffee beans will go up. Yeah, yeah. Our conclusion here is conditional. If the price goes up, 
for coffee beans, then our profits are going to go down. And yeah. the the basic pattern here is just if this first thing happens, then we're going to have either A or B. And mm-hmm. both A and B would decrease our profitability. So if, yep. if this first thing happens, which is the price for coffee beans goes up, it, we go down path A or we go down path B, but either way we lose profits. Yep. Okay. Cool. Which one of the following statements follows logically from the statements above? What type of question is that? So that's a must be true question. The phrase follows logically means that the statement that you're about to read is a statement that must follow, in other words, must be true, given the statement above. Yeah, and it's not just those two words that make that a must be true question stem. Um, Because if they had said, you know, which one of the following if assumed would follow logically from the statements above, you know, something like that. They could they use the word follows logically in a sufficient assumption question all the time. That's all I'm trying to say. Sure. Sorry. I, by the fr- by saying that that phrase means must be true, I just meant that literally. Not that it means it's a must be true question. Yeah. And, and in a sufficient assumption question, it means that too, right? Because it's basically saying which one of the following if assumed allows for the conclusion to follow logically. What they're right. telling you is the conclusion now is something that must be true. And so – you know, yeah. but here they don't mention anything about the conclusion. They don't say anything about if assumed, yep, um, or if true, or anything like that. So this is just which one of the following statements. So of the five, which one of these follows logically, i.e., must be true. Yep, I already know the answer, right? I mean, the answer's got to be what we said. Yeah, or the contrapositive, right? Okay, so I already said if the price it pays for coffee beans goes up, then our profitability, overall profitability, is going to decrease. Yep. And you say the contrapositive of that, which is? If the profitability doesn't decrease, then the price must not have gone up for the coffee beans. I guess, I suppose they could also say something like, if our profit goes up, then the price for coffee beans must not have gone up. Sure. Yeah. Because that would follow a lot. That If our profits went up, then they didn't go down. But yeah, the contrapositive yeah. is if the profits don't go down, then the coffee prices didn't go up. Yep. Cool. A, if the coffee shop's overall profitability decreases... The price it pays for coffee beans will have continued to de- to increase. Oh, that's flipped. That's close, but that is the LSAT's most common flaw. That is a fucked up contrapositive. Um, <laughs> I've been teaching it that way in class. It's awesome. They love it. Yeah. It's true though. the The sufficient necessary flaw, all that is, is just a fucked up contrapositive. And if if they if they didn't do the contrapositive correctly, that is the sufficient necessary flaw, and that's what A is doing. Just to clarify, we predicted if X and Y, and this is saying if Y, then X. Yep. So. Yep. Right. Okay, B. If the coffee shop's overall profitability decreases, either it will, I would stop reading that one. Yeah, we can stop right there because, again, it's starting with the necessary condition as if it were the sufficient condition. So it doesn't matter what they say. Yeah. C. The coffee shop's overall profitability will decrease if the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase. That was our prediction. And notice what they tried to do yeah. here. This is a, this is the simplest trick in the book, and it's it's stupid, but some people fall for it, and that is that they put the if clause at the end of the sentence rather than the beginning. And for whatever reason, sometimes people read this as if the profitability decreases, yeah. blah, 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 and that would be wrong. Right. We stopped reading B immediately when it said if the coffee shop's overall profitability decreases. We said, no, 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 we need then the overall profitability will decrease. So we can yeah. stop reading B. C does start with the overall profitability decreasing, but then it says yep. if the price it pays continues to increase. So you could rearrange C 
if the price it pays for coffee beans continues to increase, the coffee shop's overall profitability will decrease. Yep. That's exactly what we said. And the answer for number 22 is going to be C. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's just quickly do D and E. D, the price it pays for coffee beans cannot decrease without the coffee shop's overall profitability also decreasing. Wait, what? No, it was if the price went up for coffee beans. Yeah. Then we were going to that was going to decrease our profitability. So D is yep. totally opposite and it doesn't even make sense. E, either the price it pays for coffee beans will continue to increase or the coffee shop's coffee sales will increase. Um, we don't know that. No. This whole thing was conditional on here's what happens if the price for coffee beans continues to increase. Yep. But we have no idea what happens if that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what will happen to our coffee sales if the price for coffee beans does not continue to increase. Yeah. Cool. So number 22C. Not a hard question if you take the time to, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. It's a pretty technical question, I suppose, right? It's conditional reasoning and it's got the, you know, if A, then B or C, if B or C, then D. So therefore, if A, then D. It's also got the weird only if in the last sentence. So that makes it a little tough. Yeah, I think that's the only thing. Well, not the only thing, but I think that's the the hardest part of this passage. And I suspect some people probably read that, glossed over it, and just said, okay, let me look at the answers. And unfortunately, that's the key. You mean the only if in the last sentence? Yeah, I think the last sentence, the way, it's not just the only if, it's the fact that they um, they worded it with a, like avoid a decrease, right? A double yeah, negative. Double so negative. the. <laughs> The coffee shop can avoid a decrease in overall profitability only if its coffee sales do not decrease. That's another double negative. Yeah. <laughs> do not decrease. Do not decrease. Yeah. Do not go down. Yeah. So if, if that gave you any trouble, that's one that you want to read through until you can get your mind wrapped around it. One shortcut is to remember that the only if is going to introduce the then clause or the necessary condition. So if you're feeling lost in the words, just remember that everything that comes before the only if is if. And everything that comes after the only if is then. So. Yeah, and one way you can remember that is you could draw an arrow through the only if. Have you ever seen people do that? Sure, yeah. And do it mm-hmm. on the board sometimes. You write yeah. only if and then just draw a conditional arrow right through it, pointing to the mm-hmm. thing on the right side of the only if. So here, mm-hmm. coffee sales do not decrease is the necessary condition, and the thing that came before that is the sufficient. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, we ended on a highly technical note. Anything um, else you want to add to today's show? No, I I feel like we covered a lot. It was good. Yeah, we did. Thank you very much for all of your letters. Sorry we didn't get to everybody, but we will put your letters on our agenda. That was episode number 90. Ben, only 10 more to go before we get to the big episode 100. Hmm. Yeah. Listeners need to give us some suggestions about what we should do for episode 100. Oh, I I know the last thing we need to say here, that that 100 reminded me. We need people to sign up for this digital LSAT and then let us know. Yeah, we want to know how many people we can get. We should have a goal or something of like 100 people. Yeah, yeah, 100. Wow, that, that that's a stretch goal. That's good. I like the way you think, Ben. Ben's <laughs> <laughs> thinking big. Um, go to digitallsat.lsac.org. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, whatever. It's on Twitter and everything. You can find um, the links to the digital LSAT, but it's free. It's on May 20th. Actually, they'll give you 100 bucks to do it, and uh, you go get some LSAT practice in. So I'm definitely, oh, well, I was going to say I would tell my students about it. Uh, they're in California. 
How far is it to, uh, what was it, Richmond, Virginia? Yeah, Richmond, I think, is like two and a half hours. Yeah. It's not bad. Some of your kids might want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay, cool. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. See you then. Bye.